Wildcat Insider continuing on News Radio KMAN this Monday. Troy Coverdale joined now by Mitch Fortner, the guy who normally sits in this seat. Welcome to being the interviewee this time around, my friend. It's weird, right? Like, I, I'm not usually on this side of things. It's kind of nice, also, in a way, but uh, I. In a way, I, now I get to take in the questions instead of asking them, so you, maybe you get to do the hard work now. Uh, I guess that's the way to look at it. Uh, I can at least just throw the question to you and let you answer and, and sit here and maybe snooze for a moment or two. <laughs> I'm not that long-winded. <laughs> K-State baseball yesterday afternoon, big win for them to get, finally off the schneid as they are able to uh, scratch out an 8-2 to win over Cal State Bakersfield through what had been really a, a, maybe a tougher series than what fans were looking at it to be. Yeah, it was a close one. K-State, really the whole series had a pitcher step up in every game and, and really deliver. Uh, going back to yesterday's game, which K-State did pick up their first win, beating Bakersfield 8-2, to and now they're 1-5 and in the season. I mean, going into that, K-State was facing setting a, a new uh, second-worst start in uh, program history to a start of a season if they were to go to 0-6. But an 0-5 start, they were looking to really get the bats going. That was one concern, and I know Coach Pete Hughes wanted to find a way to get the bats going, so what he did is a part of that is kind of mixing up the lineup and putting – Blake Adams, who was the Friday night starter, and he transferred from Arkansas, wants to be a two-way player, so this was his opportunity. He was just maybe just wanting to get a, maybe a pitch-hitting situation, but he starts as a DH yesterday, and he was two for four, picked up a couple of hits. He did strike out twice, but thought it was a pretty solid debut. Meanwhile, as a Friday night starter, he was also stellar on the mound, going seven and two-thirds, striking out 12, allowing two earned on four hits. He was impressive, but going back to Sunday, you know, K-State, for the first time this weekend, did not get solid starting pitching as Christian Rubeck, he didn't record an out. Four straight walks, two runs, but then Blake Corsentino, a newcomer, comes in and goes seven and two-thirds in relief. When's the last time you heard somebody go over seven innings in relief? And he strikes out just two, but does not give up a run, five hits, and uh, he was getting a lot of fly ball out, a lot of ground ball out. K-State really had the pitching this weekend, just didn't have the bats until Sunday where they set um, a new season high on both uh, eight runs and 12 hits. The frustration, I think, comes from the fact that Friday night, specifically, it was such a well-pitched ball game, and wonder if there had been just uh, even one more hit, say, in an earlier inning. It doesn't go extras. And not only that, but the Cats likely come away with a win. Yeah, on Friday, so the situation there was, yeah, the pitching was really good on both sides. Benji Cagianelli for the Roadrunners was pitching very well through five innings, just giving up the one run, but he was striking out 10. I mentioned Blake Adams for K-State, mm-hmm. who struck out 12. So base runners were an absolute premium. He threw the night, threw 11 innings. K-State stranded just five base runners and scored their three runs. But you're right, like an, an extra base hit early in that game where K-State was threatening a couple of times there and just couldn't bring him around, especially in the ninth inning when they had another chance to score. Uh, that would have been great to add an insurance run, but then Bakersfield tanks on that run in the bottom of the ninth to send it to extra innings. And then a close bang-bang play at, in the bottom of the 11th that won the game for Bakersfield. I know Pete Hughes, if it was a Big 12 game, he would have reviewed that. There would have been another play in the first uh, in the first few innings that he would have reviewed and could have potentially been turned around. But 
again, that goes really back to the bats in that one because K-State was uh, struck out 12 times in that game, and they were also caught looking on some strikeouts multiple times where they should have been swinging on that, that strike three pitch. But luckily the bats woke up in the final game of the series. With that victory yesterday, does that ease a little bit of the pressure maybe that guys were feeling in the early part of the season? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a young club that's you know right now learning to play with each other or play together with each other. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, for guys like Kalen Culpepper, maybe didn't have a hit this weekend, but you know he has taken over for Cam Thompson. That's a freshman who has big shoes to fill, and he's learned to become a wildcat and, and was really good in the field. But I mean, Pete Hughes said it a couple of times in my pregame interviews with him. He's like, you know, the bats. You know, once they get going, this is going to be a very dangerous team. We saw how good the pitching was in the previous two days. That great pitching comes back in day number three. And with the bats, the Cats give up the early two runs, and then it's a shutout from there on out, and ain't nothing run. So uh, we caught a glimpse of how good this team can be with that win on Sunday. Now it's just all about, of course, you know, can they go into Cal State Fullerton tomorrow and, and take down the Titans? Challenge. get a couple of wins in a row. Yeah, challenge in and of itself when you uh, go match up with a Fullerton team that traditionally is pretty solid. Yeah, uh, and it's just the one game, right? So they have that one game break and maybe they take two off, which I think maybe that's something the team needs, like maybe just a breather, which hopefully they're going to get that today, but, you know, maybe take a trip over to Venice Beach or something. We're not too far away from Venice or, you know, the Sunset Strip, Hollywood Boulevard, all that all that tourist stuff here in Los <laughs> Angeles as we're here in Culver City. Um, but uh, I, mean, I don't really know a lot about the Titans right now. Uh, that's my prep for later on today. But um, it's um, it's still a lot of opportunity this weekend, and uh, especially with the three-game series coming up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday where K-State can do some damage and show that, hey, we, we're, we've put this 0-5 star behind us and we're going to start winning some games like we should be. Yeah, I think it really was a surprise to most of us looking at things, though, that they got out to an 0-5 start. Really expected maybe some better outcomes out of Texas, but especially uh, this weekend. Didn't expect to, to see them go 0-2 before finally picking off that victory yesterday. But uh, you're right. This is still such a young team in terms of development. Uh, you've got guys that are being called upon to fill some some pretty big shoes from last year's team. Yeah, I mean, there's only three or four starters that are really back from last year. The outfield is a lot different. Um, Cole Johnson and Dom Johnson playing all weekend out in the outfield. Philip Phillips, uh, he, he is kind of still kind of his normal role, but he's not in left field anymore. Now he's over in right field. You have a new first baseman and in Cash Rugely, who we saw on Friday and Saturday. Second base is Josh Nikoloff. Uh, it's great to have Nick Goodwin back, who really did well uh, in the next, uh, not not Friday, but you know Friday he had a rough game. He had an error that ended the game, but he comes back on Saturday, picks up a big RBI, unfortunately nearly run of the game for K-State, and then Sunday he comes up with three big hits. Like So he got better as the weekend went on. Justin Mitchell, who I thought was really impressive, he's the new catcher for K-State. He's missed just one start. And that's because just a different uh, catcher was in the lineup for that Sunday game against Auburn and Arlington. But Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, a hit in each game, and he had the first home run of the season for K-State. That was back on Friday. And uh, he was 5 for 10 for the weekend. He was extremely impressive, not only um, at the plate, but as a catcher, he gunned a guy down at second base. So that is a talented kid for K-State, Justin Mitchell. Expect him to be 
not an everyday guy, but almost an everyday guy catcher. This is really the point where Pete Hughes as head coach becomes, uh, or at least learns here, what he's been able to develop in terms of this program now as things essentially flip from uh, recruits that were already here when he took over the position to guys now that are his guys, if you will. Yeah, and what I love about Pete Hughes is just because one guy struggled in a game, for instance, I'll you know, go back to Friday night and um, Tyson Neighbors, who came in in relief after Blake Adams, he is going to be a what hopefully will be the closer because he is a very talented pitcher um, and just a freshman. So he has been thrown into the fire and he is trying to learn on the uh, as he goes here. He goes in and then gives up a run, but also watched five guys and struck out one. And when he uh, was taken out of the game, he tossed the baseball <laughs> to Pete Hughes, and that's obviously a no-no. And Pete stopped him and said, you know, he just said a few words. I don't know what he said, but everything was cool after that. And there's no doubt that sooner or later, it won't be too long, where Coach Hughes is going to go back to him and say, hey, man, you're a big part of this program now. You're a freshman. We know how talented you are. We've seen your arm. We've seen your stuff. We know how good you are, man. We need to just step up. And Tyson, even though he uh, had a rough one on Friday, we're going to see him back out there soon. All about the teaching moment, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's I, I suppose that's baseball baseball for you. I mean, you struggle one night, you could just flip the switch, and you're awesome the next couple of nights. And obviously, Pete Hughes, he's never going to give up on a guy like that. I mean, yeah. he looks like Christian Rubeck, who started on Sunday, and he has velocity. He just needs to figure out how to get that command. So we we saw the velocity yesterday, but the command was way off. He kept throwing pitches, you know, in or half of the uh, of the plate, at least trying to get there. But they kept going wide every time uh, to the uh, right-handed batters, and we saw him struggle. But we're going to see him back out there again very soon. Mitch Warner with me on the line as Wildcat Insider continues. When we come back, we will touch on K-State basketball as the men get set to match up with Texas Tech tonight. This is Wildcat Insider on News Radio KMAN. Troy Coverdale back with Mitch Fortner, normally in this seat on Wildcat Insider, but as fate would have it, he's on the road with K-State Baseball, and the Cats getting ready to match up with Cal State Fullerton tomorrow, having salvaged the finale of a series yesterday at Cal State Bakersfield. K-State Basketball, meanwhile, two big games in front of them now this week, and starts tonight with the matchup against Texas Tech and uh, Mitch, I, I formulated it out pretty simply in my morning sports script. Uh, well, for all the talk of eight and ten in the conference, if they're going to get there, for us to find out if they can get into the Big Twelve tournament or into the uh, NCAA tournament with that record, they've got to win tonight, and that's a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you; I don't feel good about it. Um, no, I haven't. I, I, you know, I've crunched the Mitch Palm numbers, let the <laughs> software do its thing, you know, but I would imagine that Mitch Palm is not feeling too uh, not feeling too good about a victory, even though, I mean, gosh, how many top 10 teams went down on Saturday? Like seven of the 10? Seven of the 10, on yep. Saturday? Yep, top six. And I think they're all on the road, right? Uh, that would be correct, yes. But you know what the Texas Tech fans are feeling these days? Like, they have the toughest environment 
in college basketball. United Steel Markets Arena is now the toughest place to play in the country. They're starting to say that we're the new outfield house, and that was based off of one heated game against Texas. And since then, the student session has not been full. So, um, you know, it's a Monday night. You know, it, you know, Lubbock, Texas. It's really bland. It's kind of dull. Uh, but <laughs> you know, are they going to be up to play K State, who's now a seventh seed in the in the in the Big Twelve tournament? Um, I don't know. Uh, depends how the game goes. I, I, I will never count the cats out. Not like I don't believe them ever or anything. But now it's to the point where they know, you know, what road they face ahead of them um, when it comes to potentially playing for an NCAA tournament spot. That seems like now um, very likely not to happen unless they were to win. Uh, the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. Yeah, that's where things really in and of themselves got established over the weekend. That loss to Iowa State cleared up a lot of things, at least for those of us who were sitting here looking at a team that we've been very hesitant to consider even as being on the bubble here over the last couple weeks. For some reason, uh, this is a Joe Lenari thing, but when K-State has been losing these these recent games, they to Joe and Artie's bracketology, K-State is like just barely falling at maybe a step, maybe mm-hmm. two. It's like, hey, hey, K-State, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep you guys in it, but you're making it tough on me. <laughs> and so Joe and Artie, I appreciate that and giving the Cats a bit of a push there. Uh, but I think you know the effort might be a little bit too much now, not worth it. K-State losing to Iowa State was an absolute killer for K-State's chances of an at-large bid, in my opinion. Even if K-State were to win. You know, these next two games, what would it take? I mean, you're talking about hmm. winning two or three in Kansas City. And right now, of course, they're still um, projected to be a day two team as the seventh seed will not, it's not a day one team because no Oklahoma State in the tournament. Right. Uh, so that'd be just an 8 9 matchup on the first day. Um, but still, that means you have to face the two seed. Uh, if you are that seventh seed, and that would be right now the Baylor Bears. And obviously, we know that has been a really tough matchup for K-State. So, um, yeah, NIT, uh, maybe Oof. we'll get a home game out of it. And it, it, obviously now it doesn't sound like we'll get the BYU game, which now I understand. Um, yeah, it's a, it's not looking good for K-State. However, you take it a game at a time, Oklahoma coming in on Saturday, it's not like you haven't beaten Texas Tech this year. But you also haven't beaten Oklahoma. That's a game you should hopefully win on at home, but we also said that about the Iowa State game. Right, exactly. And as much as anything, it came down to mistakes for K-State. And, and one of the things that stood out was uh, Bruce Weber talking about that this is a team that sometimes winds up fighting itself because guys are trying too hard. Well, now you find yourself in that position to where uh, if they aren't able to get it together, trying too hard can end a season. Yeah, and I did see some of that trying too hard, maybe from Nigel Pack a couple of times. If you go down to those uh, final possessions of the first and second half, where um, you know off the ball screen he fumbles the basketball, and now mm-hmm. scrum to try to get it in case they runs out of time. Um, and also, maybe you could even argue they weren't trying hard enough. I mean, offensive rebounds—they only had two in the game against Iowa State, and they scored on both of their putback shots. Um, but that's the only offensive rebounds they had, so a lot of one and done. But the team at least shot 43%, but Iowa State, I mean, give them credit. I mean, they were 10 or 25 for the three-point range. Caleb Grill had an absolute opposite day of what he had against Mm K-State. 
in the uh, first meeting a few uh, weeks prior to that, his grill was hit six threes in the game, and I think it was 0 of 8 against the Cats. And how about Nigel Pack knocking down that half-court shot there to end regulation um, and lose up by one point? I don't know right. what it is about Nigel Pack scoring 30 points, but K-State is now 0 and 3 when he scores 30 points in a game. That's just it's bonkers to me. But I, was, I also wanted, I wanted to make sure I got this in, and that's about Marquise Noel. Marquise Noel knows how to redeem himself. I think that's what's been most impressive about him is that he did not have the best shooting day. He did not have the best day of handling the basketball. But by God, he is going to get his double-digit points. And what he did is he was starting to lead K-State in a comeback almost single-handedly, mm-hmm. but he made four straight free throws and went 14 of 16 from the free throw line. Uh, he was a huge part as K-State called their way back to within a possession in those final couple of minutes. Marquise Noel knows how to make up for his mistakes. He made some for sure, but also Nigel Pack with six turnovers, uh, way too many mistakes there. Um, and Casey had a 14 as a team, which is actually kind of a high number for them. You, speaking of the Cats being in the number seven spot now in the uh, conference tournament in all likelihood, as we turn to the K-State women, it's very much the similar to them as they have started to fade down the stretch here and now find themselves at 500 in conference play going into their final week of the season, uh, matching it with matchups on Wednesday and on Sunday to wrap up things. Yeah, and it, the K-State women, I mean, their story is, really changed since Aoka Lee scored 61 mm-hmm. points. Uh, now defenses are making sure that they have two bodies on her, and they're forcing the guards, the freshman guards, or uh, Emily Ebert, uh, Simone Goodrich, Laura Mackey, like those players, along with the Glenn sisters and Serena Sandel to take the shot. And K-State has not been the strongest three-point shooting team uh, in Big 12 play. They're under 30%. And the Cats can't find a way to win on the road. And this was their best opportunity at Oklahoma to win on the road, where it's a tie ball game going in the final seconds. And, of course, it's Taylor Robertson, who's the deadliest three-point shooter in Big 12 history, knocks down the shot at the buzzer where she just barely got a glimpse to fire the basketball away. Um, and, again, that's just another heartbreaker. And, by the way, what a heartbreaking weekend it was for Casey until baseball won right. on Sunday. But, yeah, you're right about the women, where if you look at the – uh, Big 12 standings, they have at one point were in a tie for first place in the Big 12 standings. Um, they have, they're now in the in the sixth spot. Uh, so right now they are still out of the um, out of the uh, first day of the tournament, which if you look at the Big 12 standings, it'll most likely stay that way because they are at a two-game lead above West Virginia, who is in the seventh spot, and then at the five spot is Kansas, and KU has a two-game lead on K-State. So again, most likely, that's the way things stay. Uh, K-State will be the sixth seed in the Big 12 tournament coming up in a few weeks. Hard to believe, actually, we're talking about that being now just over a week away. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, like a week and a half. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's even it's even going to be quicker here before that. I even knew it. Yeah, well, you know, welcome to March. <laughs> the madness no is, no no it's still february uh today well hey listen as soon as the sun sets let's go ahead and just call it march all right uh, that works yeah you've got a couple extra hours of sunlight than i do today though so enjoy it uh i will we're, we're going to uh, venice beach later today and then uh what i'm really excited about for tonight 
uh, with this day off is that uh, I've always wanted to see a show at Whiskey A Go Go, which Ooh. is a very famous uh, live music venue on the Sunset Strip. And if you're familiar with bands like Motley Crue, who got their start mm-hmm. at Whiskey A Go Go, it really uh, was a big part of launching a lot of. Uh, popular bands from the 80s, especially those hair metal type of bands that, you know, of course, I'm into. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is actually tonight an 80s band. Uh, they're like a cover band, but they play there all the time, and they're called Fast Times, which is obviously a play off Fast Times or Ridgemont High. Right. Um, and I looked it up, and they play a lot of good tunes, and it's a lot of hair metal, a lot of 80s, like, new wave type of stuff. So, uh, and it's only 10 bucks to get in. So uh, I'm really looking to uh, that experience. Good call. We'll look forward to uh, being able to talk with you about it when you get back on Thursday. Yeah, I, oh, I, you betcha. I'm going to definitely tell you guys all about it. Detail, <laughs> I detail, after, after, I'm going to break down the whole trip for you uh-huh. uh, because everybody, of course, wants to know all the celebrities I've been hanging out with. Right. Um, all the sites I got to see, and I, I'm going to be Hollywood Mitch now all of a sudden. West Coast Mitch is right. coming back in a few days. Uh, it, listen, don't pick any fights with the muscle heads down at the beach today. Well, they're going to be picking fights with me because I'm hogging all the machines and just looking <laughs> good for uh, all the folks that are walking by. <laughs> Thanks, and we'll talk to you tomorrow with the Cats getting set to match up with Fullerton. All right, Troy, thanks. I appreciate it. Mitch Fortner joining us on this segment of Wildcat Insider. I'll put a bow in, uh, on it as we wrap things up next here on News Radio KMAN. One of the strangest things in looking back on the first matchup between K State and Texas Tech on the hardwood. Feels like forever ago. It was January 15th. And if you think that was a long time ago, remember that the Cats in Oklahoma meeting on Saturday have not played each other since opening the conference schedule against each other the same night that we were enjoying a K-State football win (laughs) at the Texas Bowl. Oh, my goodness. And we start March tomorrow. Troy Coverdell with you on Wildcat Insider this afternoon. Thanks for making us a part of the afternoon. In looking back at the first meeting between these teams, it played out very much what I look for tonight to play out like in the aspect that it is going to be a grinder of a ball game. Save for the fact that there weren't many free throws in that contest. But when I talk about it being a grinder of a ball game, both of these teams want this game to be low scoring. Texas Tech this season defensively is stellar at what they do to their opponents. This gets back to my comment earlier with Wyatt Thompson, the voice of the Wildcats, in pointing out that Mark Adams, the head coach at Tech, essentially the past few years under Chris Beard was their defensive coordinator. They all but called him that. He was the assistant head coach slash defense. If I remember the correct note 
of a couple of years back. While they shoot 47%, they are only 32% from beyond the three-point line. They are not a good outside shooting team. But the keys here are that they hold their opponents to 61%, or excuse me, 61 points on 39% shooting, 32% from long range, nationally 13th in scoring defense, 14th in field goal percentage defense, 19th in turnovers forced, and 21st in rebounding margin. Those are all things that will play into this game being a grinder tonight. When you look at what K-State accomplished offensively a week ago tomorrow night in Lawrence, this is a complete opposite style ball game. It's also, in large part, those numbers are in large part how Texas Tech was able to play Kansas so well splitting the season series with the Jayhawks this year. But K-State, when these two teams met the first time, desperately needed a conference win. Remember, the Cats were off to an 0-4 start. And it looked like that they might not get this one at Bramlage. Neither team was very good offensively in the first half, though Tech did come up with 46% from the field. They were just two of eight three-pointers in the first half. They built an eight-point lead before the Cats were able to close the gap at halftime, get it to two, and a big part of where this game turned for K-State was the ability for them to get second chance points. On nine offensive rebounds in the ballgame, the Cats wound up with 13 second chance points. They out-rebounded Texas by four for the game, but had nine offensive rebounds. Tech had just six offensive rebounds, zero second chance points. That is the type of game that Kansas State is going to have to play tonight to be able to pull off the win on the road. But Tech at home has been a much different ball club than even what they have been away from home. And that is one that has been able to build themselves leads and maintain them at home. Again, K-State in the first meeting found themselves down eight with just over two minutes remaining in the first half and closed the half to set themselves up within two, 28-26. The second half, the wheels fell off for Texas Tech. They only shot in that half eight of 24, while K-State actually put up 50%. For whatever reason in that game, K-State had the better energy, They had better energy coming off the bench. Bench outscored 
Texas Tech 21 to 8 in that game. They had better energy rebounding the basketball. And while the Cats committed 18 turnovers in the game, those second chance points were able to effectively push them ahead of Texas Tech on the night. Tonight, likely to be a similar style ball game in being low scoring and one where you better rebound the basketball. Second chance points would be a welcome thing for K-State tonight going into this matchup, you have to think. But as we discussed with Wyatt earlier, you have to rebound well, and that has been a struggle for K-State here off and on, but primarily over the last few games. You're talking about a Tech team that is relatively balanced in its rebounding. No one more than five rebounds per ball game. They're not a dominating rebounding team, but everybody rebounds. And that's where this Tech team is good. Everything they do has been about their balance. Everything that they do has been about being able to have someone step up in a situation where someone else is being defended well. It has been rare when they have not been able to do that. And honestly, for their game the other night against TCU, they had a four-game winning streak going in. They lost by three to a TCU ball club that, much like Kansas State, is scratching and clawing and trying to assure themselves of a potential NCAA tournament bid. For all of our talk, by the way, through the course of this season about where teams or how many teams from the conference could wind up in the NCAA tournament, much of that has been squelched by the fact that you have six teams that are now below 500 in conference play. That includes TCU at 7-8 and eight going into their three remaining games, two of which are against Kansas this week. Effectively for TCU, their bid for the NCAA is on the line this week, not even counting next week's conference tournament. Iowa State still has that shot for all of my frustrations at how they've been puffed up this season. They're sitting at 7-9, and nine, though. Then you get to K-State at 6-10. and 10. And yet, at one point, we thought potentially that this would be a conference that could have eight teams make the NCAA tournament field. For all of the talk about the bubble... Oh my goodness, that doesn't look right, does it? And yet, the Cats are four games below 500 in conference. At 500 overall, there's no way under 500 overall that they make the NCAA tournament. So that means having to perform well, not just this week, but also in Kansas City. For all of our talk about how good this Big 12 conference is this year, we're actually finding out that 
for all of the scratching and clawing that everybody has done, this conference could wind up with five. Six at best. That's my view of it right now. Seven is pushing it. (laughs) Seven is exceptionally limited right now. That would be seven of nine. Now, I don't don't think that that's going to play out that way. I just don't. So if you're Kansas State and you're looking at two regular season games remaining, well, here's that eight and ten we've discussed. Does 8 and 10 get you into the NCAA tournament? You can't find out if you don't win it tonight. By no stretch, again, is this going to be a thing of beauty. This is going to be a grinder of a ball game for the Cats. And if they are going to pull it out, it's rebounding, it's second chance opportunities. And it's guys stepping up so that it is not just Nigel Pack having to carry this team offensively. Those are the three keys as I see them going into tonight. And with that, we'll get ourselves ready to put a wrap on this edition of Wildcat Insider in a few moments. This is News Radio KMAN. Just minutes away from the tip-off of the game of the night on the women's schedule in the Big 12. In fact, the only game on the schedule, but definitely important. And you can uh, catch that on ESPN2 while getting yourself ready for K-State at Texas Tech men tonight on that same channel. Baylor and Iowa State. The conference title hangs in the balance. Regular season title hangs in the balance for that contest tipping off in just a matter of moments. Again, the K-State women on Wednesday night recognize their four seniors, senior night, as they take on West Virginia, final regular season home game on Wednesday night. You will, of course, hear that game on Sunny 102.5. The Jeff Mitty Show tomorrow night, also over on Sunny, is at 7 o'clock tomorrow. And check that, 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. Tomorrow night here on News Radio KMAN, I'll be with you from Hutchinson for Substate basketball. But then right after that is over, we will have K State baseball as the Wildcats take on Cal State Fullerton. It's the middle portion of their West Coast swing that will see them play this coming weekend at Loyola Marymount. And Mitch Fortner will have the call of tomorrow night's game that is an 8 o'clock first pitch here on News Radio KMAN. That gets us caught up to date on the next few days' worth of coverage. Again, the Cats and Texas Tech to get underway just after 8 tonight. Wyatt and Stan will be with you beginning at 7 o'clock here on News Radio KMAN. It's one of two games taking place in the Big 12 tonight as uh, the other, and of course I forget right off the top of my head, because I was talking about the women's one that was taking place here in a matter of see this is what happens and you you know start thinking about the other things that are going on as well well that and when you're on about four hours of sleep you feel like uh Baylor is at Texas that is the other game tonight final time for Baylor to go into the drum Frank Irwin Center set to be retired at the end of the season and 
That's the final home game on the schedule for Texas tonight. How's that for a surprise? So the final game at the drum taking place tonight in the game opposite of K-State and Texas Tech. Again, 7 o'clock begins the coverage for the Wildcats from Lubbock tonight. I'll be back tomorrow morning to keep you updated on what's going on around the sports world. Have a great night. Let's get them, Cats. Getting you closer to the locker room than anyone else. This is Wildcat Insider. Wildcat Insider, an exclusive presentation of the flagship station of the K-State Sports Network. News Radio 1350, KMAN.